and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And this week, we're going to talk about some werewolves. Werewolves! We watched 1985's Silver Bullet. Is this the first werewolf film we've discussed? Hmm. Ever. Ever? Like on all five seasons? Yes, I don't I don't think we've ever discussed werewolves before. Probably. Werewolves uh, are difficult... To do well. Mm-hmm. And they tend to come in clumps. There's usually like two and then a 10-year period and then two more. <laughs> I think they're really motivated by technology. I think that's as right. The, as the technology improves, um, because in the end, if you have a werewolf that's really a big four-legged animal, right? it's eventually, essentially a big dog. Yes. And if you have a werewolf that's a two-legged werewolf, it's essentially a bear. Yes. So... Um, <laughs> Every change in technology kind of motivates people to revisit the subject. Yeah, I think that's right. And also, there aren't a lot of different stories to tell no, with a werewolf. No, and they should be tragic stories. They should be stories about people who don't want to be werewolves. Disagree. The best werewolf is Teen Wolf. Um, I've never seen the show, so I don't know if it's I think it's a up. dog. He's a dog. But um, it might just be Michael J. Fox as the reason I love Teen Wolf so much. Well, it was a fun movie and it was very silly, and no one died tragically. Was Benicio del Toro in a werewolf movie? Yes, he was. He I was, did not see it. He was in a remake of The Werewolf with Anthony Hopkins. Is that so, when they were trying to redo the mummies? Right. They were trying to reboot all the, the Universal horror. Yes. Films. And they never got to the Invisible Man. Well, they kind of did a version of the Invisible Man. Invisible Man's tricky too because that's just perv. That's just well, a dude who's a perv. If you'd read the original book, H.G. Wells' book, The Invisible I've Man. I've read the book, The Invisible Man, but not that one. Right. You've read the other <laughs> one, which is a very good book, too. It's excellent, um, but not about what uh, that is. H.G. Wells' Invisible Man was a person who had delusions of ruling the world. And so what he does is that he goes along, in the film version, wrecking trains and doing acts of anarchy. Does he have the ability to not be invisible, too? No, or is he, not at he's all. just he's invisible. just invisible. And so uh, Wells, being a chemist, came up with all sorts of interesting things like having to he couldn't eat because his undigested food would sort of hang in the air and people would see it. Right. And so he came up with a very logical set of scientific circumstances, even though the idea of con- invisibility is really illogical. Um, so it was just his skin that was his skin and his teeth and his tongue, his organs and his eyes. All of them. The eyes. I guess his organs too. And there's a really interesting chapter where the Invisible Man explains to. Oh uh, right, because his skin, if his if it was just his skin that was then invisible. Then you see his organs. It would be a Harryhausen film. Mm. He'd just sort of be the skeleton walking around. But um, guts, 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 guts. there's an interesting chapter uh, in the book that describes his experiments with a cat and how he couldn't get rid of oh. the the pigment in the cat's eyes. So that it wound up leading people in the, the laboratory he was working in to believe it was haunted because at night they would just see these glowing eyes These glowing to eyes. Nothing. So there was, a, there was a couple of really neat turns in the book and the film version as well. I do think that the definitive film version of the Invisible Man story is that Kevin Bacon movie. Oh, but that was a perv movie. Uh-huh. That was him just sort of raping and, and pillaging where he wanted to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that I'm not just, saying it's good. I'm just um, saying I think that might well, be... The the original film version was done by James Whale, who did Bride of Frankenstein, and The Old Dark House, and, and Showboat, oddly enough. 
And so he did a really good film version with Claude Rains where he plays just a maniac, wrecking trains right. and, and tripping people and beating them up. <laughs> yeah, I just... Invisibility, I think, would drive you mad if you mm. weren't already mad to begin yeah, with. Yeah, I think that's what the, the, the gist of both the big book and the film was, that it tipped him over. Yeah. And sort of gave it's him... It's not like a cool superpower to no. just be invisible. Well, no. To make yourself mm. invisible is a little bit of a cool superpower, but it's also going to lead you to do bad shit. The, that's a super villain power. Right, and so he's a super, really a super villain. There's a... A really neat scene in the end that shows the limitations of being invisible where he's walking around in the snow leaving footprints and he's shivering and sneezing because it's freezing It's outside. freezing because he can't, so he can't really, knit himself up an invisible sweater. Right. It's as much of a disadvantage as an advantage. Also, yeah, he's just walking around there nude, everybody. Right. He's just nude everywhere. He's not putting a towel down. Right. Ugh. Claude Rains was the invisible man and he wanted to do that part because... He had so, they wanted him for the part because he had such a wonderful voice. And in the, yeah, that would be what you'd need. <laughs> uh, the sequels to the films were done with people like Vincent Price. It was always voice actors who could yeah. do these big, correct, booming voices. But, so, do you ever see him in the story? Yes, you do. Okay. In the the book, you see him in, sort of in flashback, the chapters where he's narrating. Okay. Um, in the film version, you see him briefly. I think at the end. Is I'm he a scientist who's done this to himself? He's a scientist who's done this to himself. Oh, okay. Which is the same as in the Kevin Bacon movie. Right. Except his... Which I can't... What the hell is that movie called? Hollow I keep, Man. Hollow Man, that's right. And there's some really neat special effects to that one, but it's almost not worth watching because there's so no, many... No, he's terrible. And then they went ahead and make a, made a sequel. I can't understand. I mean, the, the way that he uses the ability and the fact that whereas in Wells' book and in the original films, it was this invisible person... Unleashed in the world, who's committing acts of terror? In the Hollow Man, he's sort of he's locked in a lab, and so the amount of damage he can do is really limited. And yeah. You could just lock him in the lab and leave. It's not like we had to go hunting him. Well, except if he gets out, he could get out, and you wouldn't fucking know why, because right. he's invisible. But the idea was, you know, the terror spree he can go on. Mostly, he seems to be interested in trying to undo all of Elizabeth's shoes buttons. Yeah. And she also <laughs> is really oversexed in that part. She is. Like, in weirdly tight sweaters. Yeah, it's it's very male gazy. Yeah. It might be one of the most male gazy films of right. all time. Because uh, who's the, the neighbor, the, the Welsh actress, uh, who was the original model for Laura Croft, one of the action models? Oh, I don't know. Um, I thought you were talking about Ileana Douglas because that's the only other woman I could think of being in that movie. Um, can't remember. Her name. I'm looking her up. Do you mean that Catherine Zeta Jones? No, no, no. She she's was... the, also the only Welsh actress I could name. Do 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 do. Skin and yuck. Kim Dickens. I don't know who that is. Mary Randall. I don't know. Rona Mitra. Right. Rona Mitra. That's who you mean. Um, there's a scene where the entire point seems to be how exquisite Rodomitra is stepping out of her shower. And well, then he I starts mean... staring at her, and then eventually he assaults her, but it's, that part happens off screen. But I, I, like, what was the whole point of that scene other than seeing it's her step because, out of the shower? Oh, Paul Verhoeven, that's why. Oh, there we go. We figured Speaking it out, everyone. Curves, but, but if, <laughs> He's if, the director of that film. Yeah. So that's why. If I'm going to, though, going back to werewolves, the very first Wolfman movie with um, Lon Chaney Jr. is really good. Well, anything with Lon Chaney Jr. is really good. He'll probably make you cry. Right. He was very good in that one. And then 
Later on, Oliver Reed did a similar kind of Cursed Werewolf. There's a Hammer film called Cursed of the Werewolf that was interesting that it follows the whole life cycle from before he was born to, like, they bring him as a baby to a baptismal font and the water begins to boil. So he's, he's genetically a werewolf. Right. And, he was born that way. And it's an interesting film because it follows the entire cycle of his life. He's a, a teenage boy that has to be locked up during the, the full moon because he goes out and kills sheep. And then eventually he falls in love, and his father who raised him now, uh, who isn't his actual father, is uh, has to stop him from going on these sort of predatory prowls at night. It's a really good film. Well, let's talk about this good now, film. This good film, which I have to say is a good film. It I is. This it. movie is good. This movie has a... Okay, so, we wa- oh, so it's called Silver Bullet. It's based on the uh, novella Cycle of the Werewolf, mm-hmm. which we will talk a little bit about. It came out in 1985. It stars Gary Busey, Corey Haim, Everett McGill, and Megan Follows. I oh, think those are the four. We know that we Everett need to know McGill about. from Twin Peaks. We do know Everett McGill from Twi- Twin Peaks. And I was going to go on a big rant about how he didn't do enough. He didn't get enough work. And then I looked at his IMDb and saw that he did 1,300 shows on Broadway. And so I was like, oh, he was acting. He just wasn't acting where I could see him. Good. So, because he's very good. He has a very good face. He's very tall. He does action parts well. He got to go toe-to-toe with Steven Seagal in Under Siege 2. I remember that. Oh, interesting. Um, but yeah, he's he works in film and television fairly sporadically, and I was like, well, that seems a shame, but then mm-hmm. it turns out he's a Broadway actor, y'all, so he was doing his thing. He certainly has the voice for it. I can imagine him carrying off a lot of parts on stage with his height and his voice and his bearing. Yes, he was. He also was the leader of a popular Kansas City dance band prior to becoming a stage actor. <laughs> I'm having trouble visualizing that. So there you go. And he um, was in Quest for Fire for the first, was his like breakout role. Have you ever seen that film? I have uh-huh. seen that film. Okay. <laughs> I almost just got it confused with Clan of the Cave Bear. I saw Quest for Fire with you. I saw Clan of the Cave Bear in the third grade. Oh. Wherein every time they did that hand signal that meant they were going to have sex now, the teacher put a paper bag over the TV, so that, that was my introduction to that film. There was a, a, a part of the fun part of watching Clan of the, excuse me, Quest for, for Fire, Fire yeah. is watching uh, Ron Perlman and Everett McGill and Ray Don Chong. Well, those two, Everett McGill and Ron Perlman, were Neanderthals, right. and Ray Don Chong is a Cro Magnon. Right, so and she watching. teaches them how to have sex face to face. Right, exactly. That's, that's the whole point of this movie. Well, they're looking for fire. There's that too, and probably one sure. Of the... But really, it's mm. they they go from doggy style to to missionary, and that is like a big deal in this movie. Not to mention probably the most brutal fight ever put on film. It's rough. Where I'm like, wow, I can't <laughs> believe I just saw that. I'm not going to describe it. That's true. No, because we're not talking about that movie. We're, we're talking, talking about, about Summer another Bullet. movie with Everett McGill and heavy makeup, which is yes. Spoiler alert! It's the Reverend. It's the Reverend, and and so yeah, that's what was making me chuckle earlier when you asked what was making me laugh. I'm just like Adam Green Gables meets Reverend Werewolf. You know, oh yes, that's kind of what yes. So um, we're gonna get right into it. I suppose uh-huh. we have gotten right into it. So this is our first Sad Child star film. Uh, Corey Haim tragically died in 2010 of a drug overdose. Uh, notoriously, he was uh, subjected to 
significant abuse from various producers and people in charge when he was a child star in the 80s. Uh, allegedly, 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 I don't know any names mm. or details. Corey Feldman could fill, probably fill you in. And he probably has a podcast doing that, ju- doing just that right now. It mm. wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Um, Corey Haim was one of my favoritists when he was a kid. He's he so good. The Goonies, right? Uh, no. I'm sorry. It's okay. Feldman was in the Goonies. I thought they were both. Sean Astin was in the Goonies. Um, I do not believe Corey Haim was in the Goonies. Let me double check. And a really young Thanos, I think. (laughs) Yes, Josh Brolin was in the Goonies. Uh, Yeah, no. Mm -mm. He was not. He was in Lucas. Uh He was in The Lost Boys. So he went werewolves and vampires. You've never seen The Lost Boys. I don't remember The Lost Boys, but I have seen it. Uh... And he did do a lot of movies with the other Corey, uh-huh. the Feldman Corey. Uh, he's very good in this. He is. His character in the book apparently um, was 10. Mm-hmm. He is not 10. He was about 14 when they filmed. He's younger than his sister, who's 15. So he's somewhere between 10 and 15. <laughs> That's what we can tell you. And he plays a paraplegic boy. With a kick-ass wheelchair called Silver Bullet. And then another kick-ass wheelchair also called Silver Bullet. But that one's more of a motorcycle. Made for him by his loving uncle, Red. Played by Gary Busey, who was drunk the whole time. Drunk Uh, and or coked out. This entire film. The entire film. Well, except maybe the fight scene at the end. I have never seen a person, an actor... In a film, outside of maybe Aliens or something, who is sweating as much as Gary Busey appears to be in his As he's drinking out of a bottle in front of children, you're just Mm. like, that's not sweet tea in there. He's definitely just drinking liquor. Uh, He's clearly intoxicated on the the set of this film. Now, does that mean that he turns in a bad performance? Fuck no, he's awesome. Well, this is exactly what the role needed. Um, my understanding is that Stephen King, who wrote the script, had scripted lines for him, and he just kept improvising everything in a drunken haze, and that King was like, well, that's the character, and he's doing a better job of it. So yeah, just... that's the thing. He really does right. live in this character. It's very good. Now, should you method act if method acting requires you to be heavily intoxicated at work? Probably not. But here we are. It was the 80s. Yes. And also, especially in front of kids. It does seem like he at least got along well with Corey Haim. Mm -hmm. Uh, Megan Follows may have been as sort of disgusted by her uncle, or by Gary Busey, as her character was by her uncle. Megan Follows plays Jane. Kate in the book, Jane Mm -hmm. in the movie. Older sister to Marty, who is our Corey Haim character. And narrator... Now, the story takes place in 1976. The movie was released in 1985. She's telling it like a flashback, like a story about her brother. It feels very much like she's giving a eulogy. There's no reason to believe that that is, in fact, what is happening. But that's the vibe I got. What do you think? Um, The final statement in the film is to say that she couldn't always say that she loved her brother. But good night, um... Says his name and then says it very tenderly. Good night. 
Yeah. Um, it makes it feel like this is her closing a chapter in her life after he's gone. Right. The story that no one will know that we all did, you know, what happened. What, what happened, that right. That special summer. So in that respect, it also feels a little bit like To Kill a Mockingbird. Yes. Where it's somebody remembering, um, with no particular trigger in that case, that particular summer. And right. so it feels that way. And I'm sure that it was intentional. It's meant to stir up memories of that story. Yeah. All right, explain this to me like I'm a two-year-old, okay? Because there's an element to this thing. I just cannot get through my thick head. So the brief overview of the film is a werewolf terrorizes a small city. Where lives the paralytic Morty Kosla, his uncle, and his sister? The story's narrator. Now, that's untrue. A little bit untrue. Mm. I don't believe the uncle lives in the same town. No, He seems, because he crashes with them while he's visiting, and then he bounces. But everything else is correct. Uh, Marty, I guess, from birth, does not have the use of his legs. Uh, So he uses various uh, methods of getting around. He's got a manual wheelchair for the inside of the house. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then his uncle has sort of built him up a pretty hefty um, electronic wheelchair or electric wheelchair Maybe gas-powered? It's yes, unclear. It gas-powered. It's, it's gas-powered. Because um, he swings into a gas station uh, at one point to get a top-up so he can get home. But that allows him to go out into right. the world by himself. He's very independent, dis- despite any disability. Right. And he is also at no point... We hear the word cripple once from family. Uh-huh. Uh, the other kids don't seem to have any kind of... There's no stigma attached to yeah. it. As a matter of fact, he even has a girlfriend. Yeah, kind of. Kind of. Well, as much of a girlfriend as you could have back then. Yeah, I guess at 12 or 13. Right, right. Yeah. He's got a best friend, Brody, who's a troublemaker and likes to play tricks on his sister. But he, like, tries to make up for that well, He doesn't with her. seem to really... He... One of the things that you discovered when we were watching the film was that, first of all, the actors that were cast really do look like each other. They really all they could have like been bladed. Um, and also the relationship between the brother and sister is really kind of genuine. Yes. And there's a reflection She of is constantly uh-huh. irritated by the fact that she has to be the one to help him out of the car mm-hmm. and to look after him and whatnot. And then... He's kind of irritated by the fact that she's been told that she needs to do this. But also, they genuinely care about each other. Uh, He, like, at one point at the beginning, um, there's a garter snake that is used to sort of trick her and scare her. And she falls and rips her pantyhose. And so he sort of quietly sneaks into her room. He thinks mm-hmm. that she's asleep. He tries to see if she's awake, but she's like, she closes her eyes real tight. She's like, not waking up. And he rolls over to her, the side of her bed, and leaves money. And she's like, what's the money for? And he says, they're for new pantyhose. Right. You know, is this enough? And she gives him change. She's like, this is too much. I can, right. I, I don't need this much. Uh, which is very... Uh, like a real that felt very There's real to me. There's a couple of moments in here, and where I think, she, he's right. like, "Fucking Brody went too far. I was being a dick. Right. She was genuinely upset by this. I can fix it. Let me try and fix it." Well, she also apologizes because um, he's really enamored of his uncle, and he really is. And just like 
idol worships his uncle, and she makes a comment about him being a drunk who's getting divorced for the yes. what, third time or whatever. Yes. And and then she feels bad that she she's really honest with him and telling him, yes, he is getting divorced, it's true, but I should have told you like that. Like, yeah, it was, and she says it was mm-hmm. mean. Right. They're constantly, the two of them worried about hurting each other, but they're also in a situation that's kind of intolerable because he's going to get the lion's share of attention Yes. All the time. Yep. And I love that. What was the mom threatened to smack her for at one point in the car when they're having a discussion? Was it when she called him a cripple? Right. (laughs) Because it was her that called him that. (laughs) But yeah, Megan Follows, who's, for those of you who remember, Anne of Green Gables. The original Anne of Green Gables. And she's really wonderful in this part. Um, So now we've had uh, two of the people from that series in right, these movies. Right, because we had, you know, we Colin had, Dewhurst yes. in The Dead Zone. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, they, they really, they have a couple of scenes in here where they really seem to be like a pair of siblings. Yes. And there's a good match uh, that's commented later by um, by Gary Busey's character saying, well, your mom and I, because this is the uncle, yeah. were like this when we were kids. Yes. And so the actor relationship, and I don't know the actress who, the, who I'm not familiar with, the one that plays the mom, but um, she also has, uh, she has a really good relationship with Gary Busey, and you can see like a reflection She of, is, but she's frustrated by right. his hard drinking and, and being, you know, being a bad influence because she sees how much her son looks up to him, right. but also... Gary Busey loves the hell out of Marty. Right. Loves him to death. That is why he built this first uh, silver bullet right. for him. And then he builds another one, which is basically a fucking motorcycle. Yeah. Like, it's a Vespa. Well, it has three wheels, though. So it's, well, it's a tricycle. It is a tricycle. More effect, like a tricycle. It's a but, wheelchair, but it's not even a wheelchair. This is like... But it's got, like... like The wheelchair that you explore Mars on, I right. think. It's got a Harley... Um, handlebars right. and that's how it's uh it accelerates mm-hmm. and brakes right. just like a regular motorcycle um but then he has a place to put his feet um and he's like he and tells it him really fast. it goes really fast and he's like you have to be careful because i made this for you because i love you and if anything hurt happens to you on it it'll right. kill me yes there's a very funny scene where he's literally lying in the driveway uncle uh, you know uncle he's, yes he's driven down the he's he's like you this need is, to be Marty's careful driven he's the, driven away on this new he's on thing two wheels at one point yes he is he wheelies it and then when he comes back yeah red is just lying on his back on the ground on the just looking up like because he goes, that kid's a goner. Like, because right. what he didn't give him was a helmet. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, he's doing a cool 45 miles an hour least, down the street. Yeah. Like, you put a helmet on Leaving the a child. trail of exhaust behind him. Oh my god, yes, the carbon footprint on this thing is not good. So that's the family dynamics, mm-hmm. right? Um, the 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 parents are much less in this than the uncle is. He's the sort of primary adult figure we're seeing. Not to say that the parents aren't there, but they're working and they're, and they're you know, they're parents. Yeah. And your kids will sh- shunt a parent to side to, for a favorite uncle, for sure. What's happening in the town of Tarker's Mill, which is the name of the town, which is maybe one of my favorite town names, I really like it, uh, is that many, many people are dying. 
The first thing, the opening scene, we have a decapitation. Hi. Welcome to the film. <laughs> right. Uh, let me point this out for people who are shy of such things. This movie, despite the family feeling to it and all the interesting characters, is a real R movie. It's this real is violence. Another film that where the special effects are staged by Carlo Rambaldi. Yes. Um, because of his long association with Dino De Laurentiis. Uh, and so the films are... Graphic and convincing. It's, it's, there's, yes. There's the opening scene with the, you know, a he- severed head flying through the air. Yeah. But um, then when we see the head the next day mm-hmm. and as the part of the crime scene, that shit looks real. It's not it's like also, a dummy head that right. we've seen in some of the it's other films. It's covered by insects. It's just, yeah. it's really, it's... I mean, I, it yeah. is a dummy head, but it's not an obviously it's, dummy right. head. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of... Uh, the, the attack scenes, and, you know, again, to warn people, are really violent. The second one is the most violent. Mm-hmm. The second one is um, Megan Follows has witnessed a woman fighting with her boyfriend, question mark, question mark. Right. Uh, she apparently has gotten herself pregnant, or he has gotten her pregnant. Let me rephrase my sentence. Yeah. He, they have gotten pregnant, and he has decided... That is not my problem. And she is pleading with him, uh, and he does not care. And so we see her in her home. She is about to take all of the pills she can find. Out loud, she says, suicides go to hell, but especially if they're pregnant, which, first of all, how is there an especially in that thought? If you would like to find out more about this, I would suggest going to Without Works or other podcasts. That's true, yes. We'll be explaining all of this in the near future, but uh, getting back to this film. She's like, but I don't even care. And so she's taking all these pills, mm-hmm. and then she is ripped apart. Literally ripped to shreds. So this is the first time we see... I don't think we even see any part of it in the first I kill. think maybe we see the eyes or something. Maybe. Um, We're seeing claws in mm-hmm. this one. Um, but still not very much. Still, right. it's mostly the rending of flesh that we're seeing. Yeah, you're, you get to see a couple of very graphic shots of claws ripping flesh open, and it's... Again, it's very convincing looking, so it's unsettling watching that happen. To like, me, it looked a little like bubble gum, so that right. was good. My brain was just like, no, it's fake. <laughs> right. uh, so now we have two deaths, and people are... The nature of the deaths themselves, too, is really what's putting people... Yes, and people are know. very un- at at at... at great unease. Now, there are apparently two police officers. That was the other actor I didn't mention. Terry O'Quinn mm-hmm. plays Sheriff Joe. This is I thought we would see more of Terry O'Quinn in Stephen King works, but we and we will get back right. to him, but it'll it won't be until we talk about Castle Rock. Right. Uh he's not gonna be in anything between now and Castle Rock. Terry uh O'Quinn, who I remember from a really neat horror film called The Stepfather. Oh, was he in in that? Yeah, okay. And then, uh, of course, Lost. Yes, Lost. Lost is where I knew him from. I went to his IMDb page, and he Mm. has been working steadily for a very long time. So, But also, just to mention before you go on, David Hart, who plays his deputy. And Mm. David Hart, for people who have watched the TV version of In the Heat of the Night, he played a deputy in that program for years. So, David, this deputy is put upon... 
to the point where, while I don't contone police brutality in any way, mm -hmm. I am surprised this motherfucker didn't pull a gun on these people. Right. Because they taunt him to his face. Mm -hmm. They call him a fat fuck repeatedly. Right. Like, it's terrible the way that he is treated so by is the town. This is mostly Bill Smitrovich, who is the dad and life goes on. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Which is even, which, which, I didn't realize that. Uh, Patty Lapone, the actress who played the mom in Life Goes On, hated him as an actor with a passion to where they couldn't even do scenes together. Really? Yeah, they could, could not stand him. So apparently there's some sort of element of abusive jerk in his real life. Well, he was a real dick in this. He, uh, well, the porn stash as well. That was, yeah, I think, he is <laughs> rocking a terrible 70s porn stash. And uh, so to bring up to people who know or like character actors... Um, Lawrence Tierney from the old, uh, who's a film noir actor, appears as one of the, the, the people in the village, too. There's a lot of character actors stuffed into corners. The older, um, the narrator, uh, older Jane is played by Toba Felcha, who's also a character actor who's Do you a, even ever see her? No, you never see her. You hear it's her voice. It's just voice only? Okay. Right. Uh, who I think most recently... Why do we know her? Uh, most recently it was The Walking Dead. But she was also... Um, what was she in The Walking Dead? Uh, let me see if I can look that up. Because I don't... I stopped watching The Walking Dead a while ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, okay. I recognize her face. She played Deanna Monroe. She was in charge of one of the towns. Right. I don't... Sorry, everyone. Like I said, I stopped watching it a while ago. It was neat to see her again because she was everywhere in the 70s. The townspeople are getting more and more angry that people are dying and there is no DNA or, you know, no fingerprints, no... There's no evidence. Mm. They don't know what the hell it is or who the hell it is. And, like I said, the police force is two, apparently. And... The the sort of last straw for the town is when Brody, who is uh, Marty's best friend, is killed. So now we have the death of a child. Um, I don't even remember. We don't even see it. We just... No. There's a body found and we see his father re re reacting to it. That was, I think, one of the better handle scenes in the film. Because we've been treated to such violent murders before yes. that. And also the murder of his girlfriend's father. Yes. His murder is also really graphic. Uh, yes. Oh, that's, so, I mean, that might have come before. So right. the Brody might might have been the fourth one. Uh, but at that point, they're like out for vigilante justice. Right. And the, the preacher, the reverend, because we see a lot of the reverend because we're seeing a lot of funerals. Yes. We're in funerals a lot in this um, in this movie. And he does sort of talk about getting, what did it say, public justice? What were they calling it? They were calling it private justice. Private they? justice. Yes. Vigilanteism, yo. So they're all going to, the whole town is going to go out into the woods. Which and, is another movie. Yes. And get some private justice. Right. And instead they wind up. Then we cut, well, we see some people thrown around, and then we cut back to another funeral with, like, six caskets right. in front. And I'm like, I don't even know if this is a funeral service or this is just every Sunday now. We just right. put however many caskets are out here, out here. And the, the reverend, uh, who is our Everett McGill, mm -hmm. is uh, at a bit of a loss <laughs> as to how to give comfort Uh Brody's father yells out from the from the crowd. There's no comfort. <laughs> like 
<laughs> everything. Well, it's a real we are dead and this is hell right. situation. <laughs> He's like clearly not together. He's bald and his hair still seems disheveled right. in this scene. Like, the, the, the scenes with uh, Brody's dad finding the body, like I was saying, yes. we have seen some really graphic murders. We didn't have to see that one. We just see no. the look on the face of yep. the father when he sees his kid. Yeah. And that scene was played really well because we don't need to see a, a you know, a ripped up kid, we basically. Don't. We, we, we don't. No, we, we get it. We see right. what this thing is doing. We, we get it. We yeah, don't. I think that was perfect because, yeah, we've, we've seen what it's capable of and we know what that body must look like at this point. And the town is starting to empty out after mm. this uh, event. You hear over the radio, uh, you can be safe if you just follow the curfew, not by leaving town. Uh, and yet everybody is leaving town. And I'm like, no, y'all fucking leave town. It's fine. And they cancel the the autumn carnival mm-hmm. and the fireworks. Right. And uh, Marty's real bummed out. There's a real obnoxious scene of sibling scene in the car right. where he's like, oh, no fair. And then she freaks out. And she's like, God forbid he Marty doesn't get what he wants. This, right. that, and the other. And then I think that might be actually when she, when Ma, mom is like, I'm going to smack the shit out of you. <laughs> and uh, then it's at, right after that, actually, that he gets his upgraded silver bullet. Mm-hmm. And he... Uh, now, the first thing that Uncle Red tells him is, don't go far away from the house. Don't go far away from the house. Because he's a load of fireworks. Well, f- well, first of all, yeah, he gives him a, a piece, like, uh-huh. as he's leaving for the night, they've all had a picnic, or like a barbecue right. out uh, in their backyard, and then Red's heading out. So mm-hmm. he's leaving, and he gives a paper bag full of illicit fireworks to a child and says great as a role do this near the house and Mm. i'm like this is a fire hazard but mm." and so then that night marty drives 20 miles from the house well marty first of all props to Corey hames acting Uh uh-huh Without his legs, he lowers himself yes. down a trellis and gets to sleep. And apparently he's, it's him. It's him. It does not look like he were, we're seeing a double do this. He's on the second floor, and uh-huh. a paraplegic child is like, I got to go, bouncing. Right. And he does. He climbs out, climbs down, gets in his uh, real loud silver bullet. So this How thing does not have a muffler. Exactly. Because he can't push start it. Like, right. that's not a thing. And he rides down to the bridge, this bridge, uh, a wooden bridge. Oh, you're like, well, at least he's doing it over the water. I'm like, that's a wooden bridge. <laughs> and he's going to set off these fireworks. So he's got to save the rocket for last. So he mm. starts setting off fireworks. And of course, he, okay, first of all, kid, stay home. Mm. Because something is killing people and it will kill a child. Because it killed your best friend. Now, he was bummed out because his best friend died. Mm -hmm. His girlfriend's dad died, so she moved away. So he's, you know, sad. Sad, Marty. So this is supposed to cheer him up. So he's out on the bridge, and of course the werewolf shows up. And he shoots the rocket into its eye. In the eye. In the eye. And then gets away. is able to escape from... It and get himself all the way home, right. climb up the trellis, and get back in bed. And he tells his sister, so 
The thing that's killing people is definitely a werewolf. I definitely saw it, and I definitely shot it in the eye. And she's, like, in the voiceover, like, I didn't believe everything that he said, but I believe that he believed everything that he said. I like this element of the film that the people in the story do not necessarily just accept at face value, there's a werewolf in the woods, Mm because that would be ridiculous. Right. So she goes around the whole town collecting cans because they're doing a charity, a a can collecting Mm. charity, and also looking for people who are missing an eye. And then she gets all the way back to drop it off with the reverend, and who's missing an eye? The reverend is. Now, Uh this is what... We've seen this movie once before. Right. This is where I remember the reveal being. Okay. I'm glad you brought that up. However, in the version that we watched yesterday, we... There's a scene about 25 minutes prior to this mm-hmm. where the reverend is given giving a sermon and everyone in the sermon becomes a werewolf. There's yeah. all these transformations and then we get a, a jump cut to the reverend waking up out of this nightmare. Right. So now we know. We've basically been told the reverend is the werewolf. Ba- Which, I mean, not not explicitly. It makes it. it made but it really why else would to, he know it's a right, werewolf? When we were watching this film last night, mm-hmm. I looked at you when this revelation comes where. Um, where his eye patches. Where Jane finds the broken cane. Uh, That's the other thing. Club, she right? she finds a broken a baseball, uh, baseball bat. bat that was that, used by one of the people who's been killed. Boy, in the... No, I'm sorry. That's another movie. It has Peacemaker. Peacemaker, yes. Versions of the side of it. And this was what belonged to one of the guys who was in the, the mob yes. out to go hunt them. And so this is evidence that, you know, it's broken and smashed. So this is evidence that it, it She was said it taken. looked like it had been used as a toothpick. And then, of course... The dude has an eye patch on. Right, and he has the eye patch on, so she gets this. But when I was watching the movie with you, I was like, that feels like it was supposed to be the big reveal. Yes. But we had this whole other scene earlier. Yeah, um, where it's clear that he understands that werewolves and is having werewolf fear. Right. Because he's a werewolf. Now, that scene also is really fun. Because all the people are swaying back and forth in church. You know? Yeah, it's weird. Opposite so, each other, like um, like, like, like backgrounds in a play. Yeah, right? it's weird. That's what it looked like. You know, Singing hallelujah. And then, and then everyone starts turning to a werewolf, which is a really fun scene. Like all the parishioners. And, and, it was, it was, and it's like good transformations. Right? It was really funny. Though. It was a fun scene. And then he wakes up. But that like that told me everything I needed to know. Right. About who so then when we right. see him, they... they, they pause on his face as he looks up because he's mm. out working in the garden and he's got the eye patch on and they're like, duh. And, and I'm yeah, like, a musical stare, I know. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> so I'm beginning to wonder if like the love scene in Cujo that wasn't in our print, if this was in every the, print the, of the, the Or my guess is actually, because I don't remember that dream scene, that mm-hmm. that had been removed, which right. seems sad because it's well done. It should have been later in the film. Maybe that's it. So that we could actually, and I think what if it, it had been right. any time after this scene with Megan follows right. and the eye patch, except he would have had to wake up with a, with a eye patch. Right. <laughs> Maybe that's why. Um, but yeah. So we now know this is the person. Now everybody knows. And the two kids go to Uncle Red mm-hmm. because why would you go to your parents? 
And they're like, we need a silver bullet. Here's our crucifixes. Right. Now, something that isn't really covered in the film, but apparently was a part of the book, was that, um, the novella, was that the reason why they were not familiar with the Reverend. I don't think they cover that near because you see them at a memorial service. Yeah, they definitely are yeah, going but to the church. Catholic. And so they're not on oh, familiar and he's, terms. Oh, he's a reverend, right. not a, a priest. priest. Yeah, so they're not really familiar with him as a person, or you know, they, they, he was not one of their first list of suspects because they don't go to his church. They're not parishioners of his church. Um, oh, uh, at at one point, they try. What are they doing? When he gets chased down, because I'm tell, I was gonna say this is when they go to red, but this isn't when they go to red. Uh, Marty is chased down by the Reverend, right. almost run off the road on the silver bullet. He goes into well, because a they, because uh, the brother and sister have actually sent him a threatening letter. That's right. They're like, we know uh, who you are. You should kill yourself or something right. like that. <laughs> we we know what you but are. I like that because that's a real yourself. kid solution. That'll do it. You know? And and of course. The Reverend apparently remembers yeah. the interaction that he had with Marty. Right. So he's able to figure out who sent him the threatening letter because he knows that Marty saw him get shot in the face and right. then that his sister saw him with the eye patch. And so, yeah, they probably talked to each other and put this shit together. Yeah, so there's a car chase or a car and, you know, wheelchair car chase. Car and wheelchair chase uh, where he almost gets run off the road and he ends up getting sort of stuck in a right. dilapidated uh, covered, covered bridge, bridge right. which Stephen King loves a covered bridge. To be fair, I also love a covered bridge, so I'm not mad at him, right. but this is going to come up in other things later. And we get the Reverend telling him... Which was an interesting piece of motivation that he felt like uh, fanatics long throughout history that he was saving people. Yeah, he's got a... Almost like a... What are they called... Angel of Death. Right. Yeah. Serial killers. He, he sees himself, I mean, because you read stories about during the Inquisition when women were being burned at the stake, Woo-hoo. that in order to extract a confession to save their souls, some of the confessors would actually jump into the bonfire and try to get a last second confession. So he's one of... Hey. Yeah. Hey. It's bad. It's all bad. It's, mm. all, it's all bad. But it has that feel to it because he's convinced that this is not necessarily a bad thing that he's a werewolf, that he's picking off the sick and the weak. Right. There's a and woman who's going to commit suicide. Right. right. She's going to commit suicide. So he takes she's her gonna, life. He's going to... If she does what she's going to do, uh, she will burn in hell forever. But if he kills her, mm-hmm. he saved her immortal soul. He's ended her life, but he saved her immortal soul. She's a victim. She's which not is a wild, killer. because she also had sex out of wedlock. So where right. is your... Hell line. Where is it, sir? We should consult. There's <laughs> per, probably a Jack teacher. What did Brody book. do? <laughs> right. He was a child. Yeah, he was a little shit, but he was also 13. Right. Like That's what I said. We should consult one of those books. I'm sure there's a helpful pamphlet on being a werewolf. The first guy was a drunk, right? Uh-huh. And that's why everybody thought he was... It was um, an accident at first. Right. That was the thing with the first dude he's killed on train tracks and it could very and his body is right could have been his head could have been severed by a train which is exactly what happened to my former father-in-law he saw that happen it hit yeah no. it took him a long time to recover i don't think he ever did <laughs> no, just tuck that away in the back of I your didn't. mind so and i didn't see it i only heard about it secondhand third hand fourth hand so 
Yeah. So he's, yeah, he's, mm-hmm. I think he's found a way to come to terms with his right. thing. So. Well, yes, because obviously from the dream you can tell it's torturing him. It is. But he has to find some sort of justification because he doesn't believe that suicide is an option for him. Now what I like is, oh, that's right, because he'll uh-huh. go to hell. Uh, or whatever. I'm like, because the murder isn't going to... Well, again, if he's saving people from hell, then it's a but mission. Still, yeah, I know. He's murdering people. Faulty reasoning. And um, also, we never find out where this werewolfness came from. And that's something that Uncle Red says at one point, like, well, how did he get to be a werewolf? And, and uh, kids are like, oh, I don't fucking know. And Jamie's like, we're kids. I don't know. I don't... <laughs> and and we've got to assume that it happened fairly recently uh-huh. because the killing just started recently. Right. Or he was cursed and it took 30 years to kick. We don't know. We don't. What well, I'm saying is. Teen Wolf, it kicks, kicks in when you're an adolescent. We don't know anything. Well, right. but it, maybe this is a, this right. is definitely. A, I don't think he'd be good at basketball, so I don't no, think it's the same. So. Although he's taller than Michael J. Fox is. Well, most people Real are. Taller. We're much taller. So at this point. After he, oh, and it's very close that the Reverend is going to kill Marty. His mm-hmm. his bike is stuck. He can't get out. There's debris around him, so he can't go right. forward anyway. And a guy on a tractor comes out on the other side of the bridge, and he's able to scream loud enough uh, that to he's be heard. heard. Right. And so they he gets help, and he doesn't get killed. But now we have the Reverend, who fully knows who's on to him, and has basically said, I'm going to kill you. And then we're treated to a really interesting scene of Uncle Red taking this crucifix and melting it down. Well, they, they go to right. Red, and Red's like, what the fuck are you talking about? But then also, what color is the paint on the Reverend's car? Right. Because mm-hmm. there's damage on the silver bullet, where it clearly looks like he, he was tried to right. run off the road. And... The kids are very earnest about giving them him their crucifixes, which are made out of silver. And he uh-huh. goes, yes, to a uh, weapon specialist. You never get to see this. This is what I liked about this film. It's like, we're going to see somebody make he a silver bullet. He it and dealt it. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh. Oh. Yeah, that's bad. I'm very proud of that. I stole it from the Magroys. Um, I don't remember what, but somebody just said that in one of their podcasts. But, uh, but yeah, so he like makes one scene. silver bullet, a perfect silver bullet, and forty-four. The, the guy seems to be aware of the fact what this is for, because Uncle Red's like, ah, oh, my nephew just discovered the Lone Ranger, and he wants because that was the Lone Ranger's calling card, a silver bullet, leaving that behind, and so he, he's trying to cover up for the fact that he's making this to kill a werewolf, and, and the and right. the, the, the so uh, guy's like, okay. Right. But it's definitely for a werewolf. This stuff. is for a werewolf, and this is what you do with it. But he also says it's the best bullet he's ever made. And right. I'm like, so well, it's... that's good. Every one that you do should be the best right. one you've ever done because it feels important. So, But it gives the sense that you're, you have a holy weapon now yes. in some ways. It's made from a silver crucifix. It's made by a master craftsman. It's you know the best thing he ever produced. They have one, so that's probably not great. Uh, they th- There's the question of... but. It hasn't been a full moon when all these other things happen. They're like, mm-hmm. we don't know. Maybe it gets stronger. Maybe they're going to wait till the full moon until, to kill him. Da, 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 da. So the the kids are staying up with Red at home. We don't... The parents are out. Well, the, oh, Red gets rid of the parents. Red gets rid of them. That's uh-huh. right. He says he want to 
trip and his girlfriend jumped him. So you take the trip, the romantic getaway, and I'll watch the kids. Which I don't know. I guess he just bought a stay at a hotel and well, just gave well, it he, to them. Yeah, because like, what uh, what uh, Jane asks him is, "Did you really win that?" He says, "Well, I really have a subscription to Mechanics, or what is it, Popular Mechanics, or something." Oh, okay. Um. So yeah. So. At, but it's 2.50 in the morning, and Red's like, this is fucking dumb. Mm-hmm. We're just sitting here stare, scaring each other. Go to bed. I'll stay up because I said that I would, but nothing's going to happen. Right. And then Megan follows, sees a, or Jane, sees Wolfface in the window. And Shirley sees a wolf. <laughs> no, Anne Shirley does not. Anne Shirley is I not in this movie. I want Shirley to have werewolves. That would be like That's a That would be a wild proposition. But yes, it would. Uh, Jane sees a... Anne Shirley, Time Lord. That would be another one. You're thinking about it. No. Okay. I'm just wondering if you're done. <laughs> All right, I am now. <laughs> she sees a werewolf in the window. She screams. He's like, there's nothing there. But then, of course, there is something there. And it jumps to the window. And then... And it's big. Uh, then red. This is also the soberest I think we've seen Gary Busey in this whole film. In the mm-hmm. scene, I'm like, oh, I don't think he's drinking right now. <laughs> he's not all sweaty. <laughs> he's getting the hell beaten out of him by this. And then, thing. yeah, he yeah. gets thrown around. Uh, he's already he's taken the bullet out of the gun, which don't do that. Don't just leave it there. And I also like the fact that it was really unexpected. He turns his back to the window, and I'm saying to you, you should never turn your back to the window. Yeah, no. The hell with that, because the thing just comes to the wall and takes out a whole. That's wall. right. <laughs> it does. Which. Y'all, your walls are too weak well, and also so... not enough insulation. Right. What is going on? But I love that because you think it's going to come through the window. No, it just comes right through the wall. Yeah. I'm wondering, how do they explain this later on to their parents? Like, well, something came crashing through the wall. Well, they're going to, sh- they've got a dead body now. Right. Yeah. So there's so that too. So they get thrown around. The gun gets pushed away. The bullet goes into the heating vent. Marty's on the ground trying to get the gu- the the uh, bullet out of the heating vent. Uh, Jane is trying to get the gun. Right. Uh, Red's getting fucking chucked into mirrors and like he right. is thrown up from from wall to wall in this in this whole thing, and they finally they get the bullet out. And is it Marty that takes the shot? Marty takes the shot. Marty takes the throat, shot. It has Jane up by the throat. It's, oh, that's right. It's yeah. holding her up off the ground by the throat. And which, of all the things that the werewolf could have done, that seems the dumbest. Because right. he could have just slashed her once and just been done with it. But I'm going to hold you. Whatever. It's fine. It it means that she survived. You missed so. Sunday school. Okay, go ahead. All right. right. <laughs> so... He takes the shot, and then, of course, the werewolf turns back into the reverend. Now, you mentioned the other, forgot to mention the other thing, how he shoots him, right through the one eye. The other <laughs> eye, that's right. Like, so, so he yeah. shot him with a rocket in the left, left eye, eye, and he shot him with a silver bullet in the right <laughs> eye. So Marty should be a sniper. Right, exactly. This is what he should do with his life. Because even with the kickback of a forty-five revolver, right. he shot him right in the eye. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And then, of course, he slumps against the wall and he turns back into 
The reverend. The reverend. The naked reverend is down there. So now they just have a naked reverend with a bullet hole in his head. Basically a whole wall missing. Yes. Everything in the living room is broken and smashed. And so, yeah, I'd like to see how they explain this to the parents. Well. I did like the effects, the change Mm. effects. And I especially liked, it was clear that they had taken a piece of synthetic flesh and... um laid all the hair for the werewolf and then retracted it back through, it looks really good. Like, it's very effective. And it's a close-up, so you don't see it on this whole body. But once again, we've got editors who know what to look at and what not to look at. There was a little bit too big of a jump with the face at the very end of the transformation back, but I get it. We've had so many... Right. Uh, pieces of, you know, still frames. We've just got to get back to where we were. Uh, And the family sort of hugs each other against the far wall. They're like, is everybody okay? And Marty's like, um, mostly except for my legs. And they're like, what what, what happened? He goes, I don't think I can walk. (laughs) I'm just like, oh, shit. I thought he was going to say I can't feel them, which... It's the same joke. It right. would have been a little tighter, I think. But, um, yeah. And then we get the rest of the over, you know, voiceover, the voiceover right. with, uh, he said he loved me, and I said I loved him, and I couldn't always say that, but I can say it now. I love you, Marty. Good night, or whatever, mm. and then out. Now, like I said, we don't know. Did he die? would be very young if he did. If yeah. he did, he died on that silver bullet, though, because... Going yeah, too I fast. Yeah, see that happen. He has a, he's, it's sort of like Lawrence of Arabia. He survives all this nonsense and then, like, has a traffic accident and dies. And so, okay, so the novella, mm-hmm. Cycle of the Werewolf, is a bunch of basically short stories. And Marty, the 10-year-old Marty, mm-hmm. becomes the protagonist. Um, but I think it's like each of the deaths right. so, is basically a story unto itself. The history was really interesting because it didn't even start as a novella. Tell us about it. It started as a calendar. That's wild. It started as a calendar, and for each cycle of the moon, there was going to be a sh- like a blurb, not even a full short story. Um, and oh, yeah. it was illustrated. A vignette. Right. It was illustrated by Bernie Wrightson, who is really famous for uh, Swamp Thing and a lot okay. of horror comics in the 70s. There's some great art. You were admiring some of it the other day. When I posted in Ceiling Night, you were admiring like some of the just the, the amount of detail in this pen and ink drawing. So he did a lot of horror art. Yes. And he's also, I believe, from um, from New England, I think. So he he's a really talented artist, so it went along with it. There was a calendar with these illustrations and a vignette by Stephen King. He's from Maryland. Right. Close enough. Yeah, that's fine. But he uh, decided to go on. King was limited by the the idea of just putting these small vignettes in there, and decided to try to make. Oh, did he need more words? He needed more That's words. That's so out of character. <laughs> and but he he kept with the illustrations, because the illustrations really were compelling to him. Also, yeah. because he probably really enjoyed the horror comics as much as everyone else did. Oh, I'm sure. That was a huge influence on him. So. Um, so yeah, so he did that. He he played a little fast and loose with history, apparently. Because he, you know, he didn't follow the, the lunar cycle. The as lunar well cycle. As uh, well, yeah, because on a calendar it has to be certain days. But right. then he's like, yeah, on a calendar it had to follow the the, the actual lunar cycle. Right. Here he was able to play with it a little bit. But because uh, in the book, I guess each 
it's a month. Mm-hmm. It's a deaths each month, right? Right. The movie issues that entirely. Right. It all takes place in fairly close well, period that's, of time. I mean, they try to cover that in the film by saying that he is a werewolf all the time, and at mm-hmm. the full moon is when it's he's even less Le- of the reverend. It's least like, reverend, most wolf. Yeah. Right. He uh, is taken over or something, which might also explains why. Um, near the end, the closer the full moon gets when he confronts Marty on the bridge, that he has a complete lack of compassion towards people or his prisoners. Whereas the nightmare shows him being really kind of horrified at, um, at this kind of, you know, the monster. Yeah. And in the taglines, um, there were were three, one of them could be any werewolf movie at all, and that is part human, part wolf, total terror. Yeah, that's so original. Uh, one could be for literally any horror movie of all time, when darkness falls, terror arises. And the other, I guess, they had to eschew because it it's a different timeline. Right. It's specifically that. It started in May in a small town, and every month after that, whenever the moon was full, it came back. Now... That's just poorly written. Well, okay, there's two that I always <laughs> frown on. Are you ready? Hmm. For anything. Terror beyond imagination. I hate beyond imagination. What is that telling me? I can't imagine it? Then, then, you can't, right. but how did you put it on screen then? Or my other favorite, either terror, horror, adventure has a new name. Oh. How often have you heard that one? Yeah, it's always and but then it's the then it's a titular name. Indiana right? Jones Adventure has a new name. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, yeah. Ugh. So lazy writing. I totally think that this movie is worth watching. It's oh, only yeah. I think a little over an hour and a half long. It's I think it's just like what ninety five minutes. Or yeah, something, something like just, that. It clocks in really and it moves like a freaking silver bullet. It it's it, it does. It's not boring. No. For sure. Uh, 95 minutes. So it just, it it goes in there and it gets the job done. There is some problematic language because there's always problematic language in anything made in 1985. Uh-huh. But Corey Heyman, Megan Follows, and Gary Busey are all very good at right. it. And there's some really good effects. Right. And again, a it's really nice great to supporting see cast. A, a really good one. person who is not a standard protagonist be Uh a protagonist i enjoy that uh and i was very impressed Mm -hmm. by this kid's ability to sneak out with no legs what the Uh, fuck dude right his arms must have been so strong well he's climbing climbing up and down that trunk he is yeah at one point megan megan follows comes upon him and he's just sitting in a tree i'm like how the fuck did he get (laughs) up there and then you see him climbing down so it's like oh okay this is climbing down seems easier to me Maybe I'm wrong. Well, it, it, I'm not a he's tree just climber, doing a, so a chin up um, to this tree. Oh yeah, maybe. But um, but yeah, it's it's a really fun movie, and I like the people in it. I like yeah. both the the main cast. I like the supporting cast because there are all sorts of people who are familiar faces. Um, you have again, as you mentioned, some really creative special effects. I like the, although I think it's in the wrong place in the film. The werewolf church scene, yes, uh, which is really impressive, and there's a lot of just fun stuff. There's a lot of good family dynamics. There's scenes in there that really feels like you're watching a family of yes. people. 
Absolutely. So, yeah, it, I, I have to recommend it. It's a fun movie. And it, it is. It, it's better than it needs to be, which is like what we talked about with Christine. Yeah. You could have just done anything and right. sort of gotten away. You we, could have gotten lazy with this and you didn't. Right. And yeah. we, sadly, in the future, or even Children of the Corn is a good example of just doing the least you can possibly right. do. Right. And capitalize on Stephen King, and you can get well. Six and Firestarter, sequels. like you right. didn't need to make right, this exactly. movie. You didn't. You could have just skipped this one. Right. There are other properties that make or, a movie because this is not right. cinematic. Put some care into it. It's like <laughs> don't put a cast of Academy Award winners and Emmy Award winners into a film, and then just completely waste them. Yeah. Which was no, it's a I think one of the most horrible parts about the film. All right. So next week, uh-huh. speaking of which. I want to apologize to everybody because it's going to be a rough one. Right. We're watching Maximum Overdrive. <laughs> I have never seen it. Is it any good? Uh, no, I do not think that it is. Okay. Um, this is... We've got an Emilio Estevez sighting, and we've got a Stephen King directorial debut. Oh, uh, I remember the advertising for this film. He... My wrote, name is Stephen King, and I'm going to scare the hell out of you. Yep, yeah, he wrote and directed this movie in a time where he was doing m- many drugs. And Stephen King is a person, I think, who works best with an editor. Right. He needs someone to rein him in. And in this movie, they were just like, fuck it, do whatever you want. And he was like, okay. And he did. And we will watch it. Uh uh, so, yeah, that's next week. <laughs> okay. Uh, oh no, we might have to buy it. Oh, that. Oh no, I'll get another Stars subscription because it's on Stars. Otherwise we have to buy it for seven ninety nine, and I don't want right. to. <laughs> so that's going to be next week. Um, before we get to that. Do you have anything to recommend? Um, I have something that I feel you may recommend as well. Oh, no. Uh, yesterday we Don't saw... Don't steal my oh. thing. No, it's okay. Speak up, please. Toy Story 4. The fourth one. Which I did not know anything about going into it. No, I'm very grateful. We saw zero trailers or mm. co- commercials until today. Right. And seeing those trailers and commercials, I am very glad that I did not see them before the film. Yeah, I think that watching it... They so gave we won't away. talk too much about it is what we're going to say. Uh-huh. If you haven't seen it, go see it. Um, I avoided anything to do with the film, and so when I saw it, it turned out to be so much better than I had... I mean, I had no expectations of it at all. No, you've Only seen all of them. expectations of the other films right. that were really well, very high standard. But as you pointed out yesterday, these films are about the existential crisis of inanimate objects. And and by by well, not inanimate because they do move, but they're they're they. The, it's the existential crisis of existence. Well, they're all existence. They're uh, it's about what is to your, your purpose? Your purpose, your inner voice. <laughs> what happens when your purpose voice. is done? Right. It's just it's and the character, and I won't go is into. Is your it. purpose your own, or is it somebody else? Is your purpose to fulfill your purpose for other people? Yeah. And when that other person doesn't want you, what does that mean to you? What does that mean about your existence when you're there for somebody else? And also, there are some legitimately terrifying yes, scenes in are. these movies. And there's a lot of, um, and I'm not going to mention what they are, but there's a lot of really fun references to Stanley Kubrick in this movie. It's 
There are like a weird number, right. like a lot. It's very funny, and, and if you're a you know, cinephile, you will enjoy how often and how clever these are. These are not direct references. These are really clever, kind of sideways references to, to the work of Stanley Kubrick. But um, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the characters, and I enjoyed the villain in this film. Um, and I won't go into it, but that was just... It was interesting how much of a portrayal you can get out of a voice yeah, and a really strong visual image. And yeah. that came up... I mean, it, it really came up really well in the supporting cast. Um, there was a Key and Peele right. uh, reunion that I enjoyed very much. Uh, yeah. And also... Um, Keanu Reeves. Oh, yes. Keanu Reeves is so Keanu Reevesing all over the place right. in this, and it's so good. It's like what I did not know Toy Story was missing. Now, full disclosure, when I heard they were doing a Toy Story 4, I was like, fuck Pixar, fuck Disney, mm. fuck a cash grab, because they made a perfect trilogy. Why are you right. making a fourth one? This one has a legitimately good story. It does. They didn't just make a fourth one to make a no, fourth and one. What I liked is that, and I mentioned this to you, and I'm, I won't go into detail about it, but there is a addition to this kind of mythology that I think was really needed. Um, I, I think there's a, a like in terms of the motivations of the characters, mm-hmm. where there's a kind of agency that gets developed that I think was really necessary because these stories are basically focused on pleasing other people. Yes, I will say. There's a character in this movie called Forky. Uh-huh. And Forky is made a toy from trash. Okay. And I don't love the way that it is dealt with. He consistently, for the beginning of the movie, is like, I'm trash. All I want to be is trash. Let me be trash. And everybody around him is like, no, you're a toy. You're a toy. Uh-huh. You have to be a toy. The child needs you to be a toy. You're a toy now. And I don't love that this thing that knows what it is is forced into this uh, being this other thing. Like, it feels a little bit problematic to me. It is problematic, but it winds up being part of the rationale of the film and the decisions the characters make, It does. And I understand why they did it, but I'm also like, there is a point, this is a little bit of a spoiler, where he's like, I'm supposed to be used for... What did he say? Say something like soup or macaroni and cheese or maybe chili and then thrown away. I'm litter. And he throws himself out the window and he flies away and he's like, I'm free. And I'm just like, fucking let Forky live his best goddamn life, would you please? They don't. (laughs) The mark of a good film. All right. Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel were reviewing the Muppets Take Manhattan. And they got into a violent argument about the nature of Miss Piggy. And Gene Siskel stopped it and said, wait a second, we're having an argument about the performance of a piece of foam rubber. Then turned well, to the camera and, a, and said, right, yeah, but turned to the camera and said, if they can make us care this much <laughs> about yeah. a person who doesn't exist, this is a worthwhile movie Correct. to see it. It's just, I think it could right. be a damaging thing for people who are, say, non-binary. Mm-hmm. Or transgender. For kids to say, I am not the thing that you think I am. I am, I know what I am. Mm-hmm. And for everyone around them to be like, you're not though. 
and you won't be because you're this now. Right. I can see it being damaging. Yeah. It feels to me like they could have handled it differently. Uh, I don't think it detracts from the whole movie Mm -hmm. for me. Right. But I am not a person who has had to to deal with these issues. It just struck me as like, really, we're doing that? Okay. (laughs) Like, he's very clear about what and who he is. Mm -hmm. And everyone in the movie is like, nope. (laughs) You're not, though. I understand, yeah. So, uh, yeah. But I enjoy, but the movie is enjoyable and it's mm. beautiful. Yes, it is. What is it missing? The Pixar short. Hey, right. where's my short? I, I, I like the idea that these films, because I saw the first one uh, very, I mean, I saw the first one when the third film was in theaters, I think. You know, oh, you I, hadn't seen the other ones? I okay. I haven't seen the first one in a long time. Oh, I guess or, uh, you didn't have a child at the time. Right. So okay. I didn't. And so it wasn't a thing that we did. But um, the quality of animation from that first film, because there were still times when they were googly-eyed and the colors were weird. Yeah, but I mean still, by, it was all not, still very yeah, good. it was all still very good, but the evolution of this technology from that point has been amazing. Yeah. I what mean, what Pixar yeah. has been able to do, and we live, I, drive, I used to drive by Pixar like daily. Mm-hmm. We live very close to it. The we, theater well, we saw we, this in right. was in Emeryville, California, which is We passed where Pixar, Pixar on the way to the theater, yes. which is kind of funny. So um, it feels a little hometown pridey to right. me, but also the I, I hate that Pixar was scooped by Disney. By Disney yeah. It's still deeply upsetting I, to I, me. It's, I feel bad because... Because it, Disney... Pixar, you don't need Disney. Disney needs you. You grew up with this Disney, right? I did. I grew up with. with, I grew up with uh, Renaissance Disney. I grew up with um, Beauty and the Beast, The Lion King, Aladdin, the originals, y'all. Not these live action nonsense things. Sorry, I have not seen any of them. So you saw the Jungle Book. Uh, I did, but I also don't consider that a. Or, that's a that is a live action version, mm-hmm. but that is a story that's been told so many times. Yeah. It, I and I, and the original uh, Jungle Book didn't come out. That wasn't part. Yeah. That was before. Well, see, I I got the oh, and keep in mind too. Mm-hmm. I the when I was seeing those movies, Beauty and the Beast, right. Aladdin, and The Lion King, I was in my teens. Yeah, I was eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen watching them on repeat because I had a, a, a son. I had a brother 10 uh-huh. years younger than me who was watching them. So it wasn't even my, that wasn't, like, I don't have childhood Disney. Yeah. I, well, at all. I grew up in the weird lull between the time that Disney, Walt Disney was dead and the time that it picked up popularity again. And so... Um, but I still, there was a harkening back to classic Disney. You'd have the wonderful little Disney uh, mm-hmm. on every Saturday night. S- Sundays or Sunday when night. I was a kid, yeah. And you would bind up watching all the stuff they produced, the movies like 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea mm. and all this other stuff that was great. And that was a legacy of the classic Disney. And they were kind of stumbling and finding their footing in the new age after that. But, um, but I still have, I can recall back to real Disney. And so it's really awful seeing it now being something that's essentially buying up properties left and right and yeah. exploiting them. Yeah. And so that's 
kind of heartbreaking. Like Disney it, doesn't yeah. need to own Marvel and Star Wars and, and Pixar Godzilla. and Godzilla. You know, it's, it doesn't need to take everyone's childhood away from them like that. You yeah. know, but yeah. it does. It's it, yeah. I don't love it, and I've never. I've been to Disneyland, mm. but I, the first time I went was I was eighteen. So really, it's yeah. lost on me, and yeah. that's you know. When when no good childhood whatever blah 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 but um, <laughs> I really I mean turns out though uh, that working at Disney was a shit show if you were a woman so maybe it's gotten better now that Lasseter's not right. physically there yeah. uh, that was deeply upsetting to hear when I learned that I was just like yeah. but it's supposed to be. It's my dream the place to work. Place <laughs> no, Disney, Pixar. Oh, I Pixar. wanted Pixar. Like, I wanted to work at Pixar, doing anything. I was mm. like, I'll get a guard card. I don't care. Mm. I will do security at Pixar. I want to work for Pixar. Um, and then to hear that for women, mm-hmm. it was like a nightmare place to work. That's a pity. It's, it sucks. But I deeply love Pixar animation. Yeah. All of it, except the cars, maybe. <sighs> the cars aren't for me, so yeah. it's fine. Uh, I stopped seeing all of them in the theater mm-hmm. with... I don't think I saw Brave in the theater, even. Maybe I did. No, we did. You did we? we? We did. Okay. Um, but there were quite a few that I did not right. see in the theater, but we saw this one in the theater, and uh, the new one that was... Uh, the, there was a trailer for it called Onward. Uh-huh. Looks really fun and good, and I'm excited about that. I like when they do original stuff. Right. Um, the fact that they... Oh, I will say The Incredibles 2 was... As much as I didn't want a Toy Story 4, right. I wanted The Incredibles 2 well before they gave it to me. Although I'm glad that they had a story before they made a movie, which I, I appreciate from I them. I really liked that movie because... One of the things that you get from the Incredibles movies is that as much as much as it is a big hug to Stan Lee, obviously it's also there's a lot of references to the Bond films. Yeah. Especially in the score. And one of my favorite Bond films, Thunderball, is like is really referenced in yeah. The Incredibles too. The runaway hydrofoil and you know, running yeah, that was really great stuff. I enjoyed it. Yeah. So I, my recommendation is Pixar mm-hmm. films. Yeah. Watch them. They're very good. Even A Bug's Life. Yep, that one too. I never saw A Bug's Life. I think it's fun. I like Dave Foley. Uh, I, I Just the idea of casting Dave Foley as the star of your animated film is uh, like so funny to me and I just love it. Uh, but yeah, but especially, I mean, the Toy Story movies are great. The first four are fantastic. Yeah. This one is a worthy... First three, you meant. First three. The okay. first three are fantastic and this one is a worthy succession. Yep, yeah, very good. So I think that's all. And spooky. Be prepared for the fact that it is genuinely creepy. There are some very creepy parts. Legitimately creepy. All right. Is that going to do it for us? I think it's going to do it for us. Awesome. So next week, Maximum Overdrive. Uh, Here we go. So sorry, everyone. Mm. But bask in the coked out glory of an Emilio Estevez vehicle. Sometimes, as you well know, I like seeing a movie that's just nuts. It's going to be nuts. I was watching a nuts film last night, so I'm like, okay, I just... Yes, this is going to be bonkers. Sometimes I like a bonkers movie. Um, I was going to see what the runtime on it is. About 90 minutes too long is my guess. Oh, that's rude. (laughs) There was a TV 
movie remake of it too, right? Mm, I don't know that. I think there was. There was a TV movie remake. 1986 American sci-fi horror dark comedy film written and directed by Stephen King. And also, horror comedies are very, very difficult. Um, there is a low success rate with horror comedies. 97 minutes. That feels about right. Okay. So... There's a movie, a TV movie in 1997 called Trucks. Right. That is a... Based on the short story? Yes. Okay. And so they went back to the original work. So, there you go. Because the book, the story is called Trucks that mm-hmm. he is adapting. They call it not a remake, but an unmake. So, <laughs> which sounds... Unmake. Well, it sounds like spin to me, but... Right. All right, anyways... You can reach us at latecomerspod at gmail.com or on Twitter at latecomerspod or on Facebook under the Latecomers Podcast. And you can tell us we're making a terrible mistake by watching Maximum Overdrive. Or you can, we're committed, though. We are committed. We're we watching committed. it. No it's a good movie see. after that. We're, go- we're going to pass through this strong, stronger than a Treyu. Won't lose our horse. And nope, no, we're not. We're leaving our text at home for this, and we're going to get to stand by me on the other side. There we go. All <laughs> so, right, there we are. <laughs> Hallelujah. That's what I, we have upcoming. Maximum overdrive followed directly by stand by me. So there's a three sixty right. or or one eighty rather. Uh, questions, concerns, and comments. Go ahead and reach out. Let us know. Uh, let us know how we're doing. Tell your friends that this show is awesome and you're awesome. digging it. Really, uh, it's amazing. We are really enjoying this arc. Mm-hmm. It's going to go on for a while, so get in while the gun's good. Uh, and please send us stuff. Yes. We got some really good input. Yes. Uh, uh, Give on, us the um, input. We right. love it. On Stephen King. Um, and we will shout way. you out, mm-hmm. unless you don't want us to, and then we will Just let thank us know you whether quietly. You want to be out or not. Yes, I will never say your name unless you tell me explicitly that. Uh, that you can tell me your name. Or that I, you... I will never say your name unless you tell me explicitly that I am allowed to do so. So, with that, I remind you to take your medicine, and we remind you, better, better late, late than, than never. never. I don't think that's what I normally say, but that's what I say today. <laughs>